You guys can all read along with me. For six years, you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest. And so the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. Next week, uh, Heidi and I and the kids uh, leave for our five-month sabbatical. And uh, we are going to attempt to hike the Appalachian Trail. Uh, We look to put our first steps on the Appalachian Trail probably April 2nd, Tuesday, and just start heading north. And we've got until September 1st to walk. Um, when I first started, you know, thinking about this, you know, I was a very goal oriented. Katahdin is our goal. And then as I've hung out with more hikers and I've talked to more people and more mentors, they said, get that off the table. Like, don't think about Katahdin. You just need to walk in the woods for five months with your family. That's the goal. And wherever you end up, is where you end up. And it's, and it's definitely taken a weight off my chest because I know that if Katahdin was my goal, we, I'd, I'd calculated the math and we needed to only take two zero days a month and we needed to do 18 miles a day on average. And I know that we'd hit North Carolina. And I'd be like, guys, we have not done 18 miles today. We got to go. And that's not going to be any fun. Um, so I want to tell you a little bit about the sabbatical, how we came to the idea, how did it all kind of culminate, where it went. Look at some scripture things. And, um, but, you know, you know, first, um, I was hired in, in 2012 uh, by Skip Schwartz. He had started the ministry here in uh, 1990. And um, Skip soon realized once he got going that, that he was uh, experiencing burnout. And, and the board in the mid-90s said, you know, you need to take a sabbatical. And uh, so Skip and Joyce drove through the, all the West Coast. They went to all the, driving through the West and saw the different uh, national parks or whatever. And so at that time was a time of refreshing and, and a time of renewal of vision for Skip to come back. And then he did, you know, I think, the ministry for about another-ish 10 years until, you know, Heidi and I showed up. Um, and then, uh, so what he said upon hiring, he's very wise. He said, Marcus, I-, I can really tell that your personality is one that is just not going to know boundaries. It's not going to do well with saying no, and you're, you're going to face burnout. So you need to start planning your sabbatical now. And I was like, well, okay, like that just it sounded foreign to me. And when he said to plan it for seven years ahead, seven years could have been like like um, like a, like a long time away, you know. At the time, we had a a two year old, a four year old, and a six year old. You guys remember when we moved to town and Jesse wasn't saying anything? He says a lot now, huh? <laughs> crazy to think, huh? It was crazy for me to think that when we moved to town, Jesse was younger than Evie which is crazy for, you know, for me to think like that, you know, like, wow, that's crazy. And, um, God's done a whole lot and it's been amazing. Uh, but one of the things when I said to my wife, when I came home, like, Hey, Skip said in seven years that we need to start thinking about sabbatical. And it struck the conversation of like, what would we do? What would you like to do? And we happened to be housing people from the Appalachian Trail that night, um, some through hikers. And uh, that in itself was a miraculous story. And, uh, but anyway, um, she said, you know, I'd like to hike the Appalachian Trail with the family. I said, that's not a sabbatical. 
Like, that doesn't sound fun at all. Like, I want to go rest in a log cabin and fly fish and watch the birds fly around and, you know, fly, you know, just hang out, right? You know, and she's like, "Uh, I don't know. You know, and then as we got talking about it, she was really wise. I love listening to my wife. She said, Marcus, if you go someplace and stay in one location for three months, you will start a new church. She goes, I know you. You will have 30 to 40 people gathering weekly, and it first will start out as a bonfire or pizza. And before you know it, you'll bring out your guitar, and you'll have your Bible, and you're just going to start leading them in a worship service. And he said, by the end of three months, you'll have these 30 people from a completely different place that are gathering every week, and then you're going to say, uh, sorry, I was only here for three months. I'm going back to Lincoln where I'm supposed to be. See you later. And she was, I got to thinking about that. I'm like, oh my word, one, that wouldn't be a sabbatical because I'd be doing the same thing I'm doing now. And two, that would be really hard to all of a sudden leave this group of people that we started gathering every week for three months. And I know for some of you that just sounds crazy, but that's my personality. That's the gifting God has given me, right? I don't have some other gifts, but like details or spelling, um, you know? I saw this meme the other day. Drew gets a kick out of my spelling all the time. He just can't believe how poor of a speller I am. And so he always is telling me what I spelt wrong. And there was this meme that said, this meme that said, okay, you win. You spell better than me. I'm like, yes, that should just be my a poster in, in my office. All right, great. You win the argument. So, um, so the sabbatical is, is something that Heidi said, you know what, Marcus? She said, we need to continually move. We need to continually move so that we can help preserve, you know, alone time and time with the Lord and time with the family. And, uh, and, and, the, and the Appalachian Trail is going to be really good. And uh, I actually am struggling this morning, right? This is a very hard sermon for me. Um, it's not like last week's sermon where I could talk about uh, St. Patrick, you know. Today I'm talking about me and my family. And, and it's very difficult because uh, if I put myself in your shoes as a congregation, it can kind of feel like, all right, like Marcus and Heidi are going to do a bucket list trip. Like this is like a trip that you like, why are you guys doing this, you know. And so it's hard, it's hard for me. But I think what God has to communicate to you through me is valuable through his scripture and through what he's teaching me in my life. And so uh, I hope that you can hear it this morning. So when this sabbatical started to be kind of come real, I began to do some studying on sabbatical. Like I kind of knew the word, but to be honest with you, I thought it was for like people that were much older than me and much smarter than me. You know, usually like college professors or like people who have their doctorate and who have, are, are pastors of churches that are really large. And usually I think they go away and they do a sabbatical and they like write a book, right? Or they like, I don't know, do something, launch a rocket or some, whatever they do on sabbaticals, right? Um, but, you know, and so I didn't really know a whole lot about them. And so I began to kind to study them. And what I think is amazing about this is if you read here in Exodus, it says, for six years, you are to sow your field and to harvest your crop. But on the seventh year, you are to let the land lie, upon, uh, lie unplowed and unused. So I watched my father be a pastor my whole life, right? But he was a pastor in a unique way in the fact that he pastored a church that gathered on Sunday mornings and they gathered on Wednesday night, but they were the classic New England church. The average age was 65, and to them, like, pastor meant give the sermon, pray with us on Wednesday night, and if somebody is sick, come sit with them in the hospital, and if somebody dies, please do their funeral, right? And so dad 
how he did all that, in the midst, he also worked full-time at the paper mill in Jay, Maine. So dad did 40 hours a week in the paper mill and then would drive an hour to go to church, right? Um, but when I came here and I began to become a pastor, the best way I could, I could describe it, and this is what started happening, I found myself going to Maine when I could, and I couldn't really understand why that was. And people would kind of get frustrated with me. They'd be like, geez, you go to Maine, like in the summertime, you're going to Maine like four or five times a month sometimes. You'd go away for two nights and, uh, you know, uh, per week to Maine. And what's, what's the deal with that? Well, I got to thinking. Think about this. A farmer. Can a farmer ever really have a real day off on their farm? Not really, right? Now, they might have times where it's like less stress and they can have coffee on the front porch with you and have a chat or they can have you for dinner, right? But a farmer can never really unplug mentally or just take a breather for a day at their farm. And I believe God has called me to Lincoln and Woodstock and the greater Loon community to be a farmer, to farm people, right? Some people need watering, Some people need a little pruning. Some people need a little sunshine. Some people need to be dug up at the roots and transplanted, right? Some people might need to be thrown in the brush pile. Um, Hey, it's Jesus' words, not mine. Um, So uh, that's the best way I could describe it. And and I know for a lot of you that are self-employed, right? A lot of you that are self-employed, you probably feel the same way. Because if you go to the dump and you're a mechanic... You're just trying to go to the dump on your day off. But what's going to happen when you see somebody? Hey, my car is making this ka-clunk-ka-chunk, ka-clunk-ka-chunk, ka-clunk. What's wrong with it? Don't ever ask that to your mechanic, please. Like, you're wacko. Like, that, you know? It's the same thing when you come to me at the dump and say, man, my wife hasn't talked to me in like two weeks. What's wrong with our marriage? Wow, you know, and, and that, and, and one, because I lend myself to that, but, but that's what happens to me. I'll, I'll be on my day off at the dump or doing what everyone else does on their day off, you know, going to the town office or, you know, going to the bank because Lord knows their hours are really hard, right? And uh, going to do your normal thing. And then what happens is next thing you know, someone said, hey, listen, you know, I've been diagnosed with cancer or my wife's been diagnosed with cancer and that's tough. That's hard stuff. And can you please follow me home and pray for them? And you're not going to say no, obviously, to that, you know? And so I found myself going to Maine, right? Because Maine, we have a cabin in Maine on a, lo- on a pond that's at the end of a dirt, mild dirt road with very little cell reception and no uh, running water. And I got, would get myself up there and have one to two days where I would just be out there uh, in the woods. And And that's what I'm seeing here is that God has called me to a job that's a lot like a farmer, right? And I I admit, I am not the greatest farmer. I'm not the greatest farmer. I leave the crop unwatered a lot, you know? I forget to weed the crop. I get get lazy, uh, and, and and that's not good. But when I started to think about a sabbatical and pray about a sabbatical and read about a sabbatical, I started thinking, okay, what is God doing? And then it's done nothing but open doors. God has opened doors to what, 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 what he, I guess he's, he's planning, which is incredible. So what we had to do as a board is sit down and say, all right, Skip came up with this idea, but Skip's not on our board anymore. And Skip's not here. And we didn't write it down anywhere. There's no policy or bylaw that says 
in seven years X. Well, now we have one. Okay, so you attend a church right now that in the policies and bylaws, it says at the seventh year of a full-time ministries individual that works at Loon Mountain Ministry, uh, they get a, a three-month sabbatical. So our good friend Drew back there, I don't know what year it's going to be, but it's a couple away. Four more years? Okay, so in four more years, Drew will have a three-month sabbatical. So we came up with some nice guidelines for that. Well, obviously, we had begun planning the, 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 the hike of the Appalachian Trail, and the hike of the Appalachian Trail does not fit into three months in this kind of shape, all right? There are some people that do it in that, but they don't look like me. Um, and they also don't have a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, and an 8-year-old that they're bringing with. Now, if Heidi did the trail by herself, three months would be fine, but for the rest of us, and uh, so um, we went to the board and said, okay, this is what we've been planning. This is what we think God's doing. Could we add on to our three-month sabbatical a, a two-month leave of absence? And so they talked about it, prayed about it. They might have even met with some of you guys. They went and t- met with a lot of people in the congregation, came together as a board, and voted, yes, we can add two-month leave of absence to the three-month sabbatical so that the Corey family can attempt to hike the Appalachian Trail, which we feel extremely honored, really blessed. Thank you. This is crazy. I, I hope you do know that this really isn't my idea. I'm still actually having some, I'm having some anxiety this week of saying, like, do I really want to do this with my sabbatical? Is this, really, is this really what I want to do with my sabbatical? And I have to, Heidi has to walk me off the ledge and say, I think God has, oh, has orchestrated this, so please come back and let's do this. Um, but I've had some moments this week where I, I really was about ready to say, no, we're not doing this. And, um, and so, so if you want to blame anyone, blame Heidi. Um, <laughs> for us doing this. And, uh, well, you really, you should blame God because he's just opened up so many doors for this to happen. And, um, and so I've, I've learned about sabbatical. So one of the first things that I've learned is that the word sabbatical comes from the word Sabbath and the word Sabbath comes from the beginning of the Bible. God created the heavens and the earth in six days, right? He put all the plants and all the animals and the rivers and, and he divided the sky and the water and he called forth the mountains and he made humankind. He did all of this in six days. It said, but on the seventh day, he rested, right? Now, God is all-powerful. He's all-present. He's all-knowing. God doesn't need rest. God took that seventh day of rest as an example, as an example for you and an example for me, as an example for humans to rest one day a week. And I was not doing that. I did not have a pattern in my life until this last year, year and a half of rest one day a week. And if God gave me that example, I need to follow it. And I have to apologize to you as a, as, as, as a, as a congregation because I wasn't giving you that example either. Right? I wasn't giving you the example of one day you rest. So a year and a half ago, when this sabbatical began to take shape, a mentor said, hey, pal, if you're going to sabbatical, you first need to learn to Sabbath because you have no clue how to Sabbath, buddy. You do it really poorly. So I think if this sabbatical is going to be a success, you need to first start with a Sabbath. So, right? It's like learning how to crawl before you learn how to walk, right? And so that's what we did. We picked Monday. Heidi and I looked at the calendar. We looked at all that's going on. And we said, okay, Monday. And I don't know if you've noticed, but in the last year, year and a half, on Mondays, 
I have been unreachable for the most part. And that's what a, what, what, a, what a mentor challenged me. He said, listen, you need a Sabbath from this. This has made us always connected, which is a blessing in some regards because I've been able to still work, still be reachable while being able to be mobile and travel and see kids ski racing and go to Maine or go down to Concord or come back. I've been able to be, well, it's also helped me be organized. Without this, I would not really know when to show up at what meeting or whatnot. I'm sure Heidi would tell me, but um, this helps Heidi. And, uh, and so he said, you need, to, you need to take one day a week where you're completely disconnected from this. Okay, and I'm going to tell you that we started doing that. Heidi and I started doing that about a year, year and a half ago. It's been incredible. The word Sabbath means stop doing what you normally do. Cease. It actually means to cease doing what you normally do. Don't do it. Now, America has kind of adapted that into two days, right? And a lot of people in their job are able to stop doing what they do. Now, if you're self-employed, you really need to listen. Because if you're self-employed, you can just keep doing what you do all the time. No one's ever going to tell you to stop. But if you work, right, for somebody else and you, they, in, in an organization and they say, okay, your days are off are X and Y, well, well then, you, you, you know, those are your days off. I wasn't really doing that. I'll, I'll make hay while the sun shines. I'll find a place where no one's dying, no one's getting married, I don't have to sermon prep, no one needs bedside assistance, and no one needs marital counseling, and I don't need to answer my email on my cell phone or my text messages. I'll use that time to rest. And I'll be honest with you, there were times where all of a sudden no one would die for three days. It's crazy, I know, but it would happen. Um, but then other times, I wouldn't even know it, but we would go three or four weeks where there would never was a day where something was not happening between extra church stuff or weddings or funerals or bedside or, or emails. And then what would happen? Grumpy at my family. I'd snap at my kids a lot quicker. I'd snap at Heidi a lot quicker. If you got closer to me like a Drew or a Nathan, I would snap at you quicker right? That, that was like the first kind of litmus test indicating, indicating something, something's not right. Why am I this quick to snap at somebody like a Drew, who we all love Drew. Drew's incredible. Drew does amazing things. He's very faithful. He's very loyal. He's very on time, He's, right? Why would I snap at Drew? But I would snap at him and I'd have to like sit back for a second and think, what is going on here, right? Or I'd snap at my children or I'd snap at Heidi. I have zero right to snap at Heidi, I might have a right to snap at Jesse from time to time. <laughs> There's never a time where I have a right to snap at Heidi. We all know that. And um, I was doing that. And so I will, I will tell you that in the year and a half that I have taken this Sabbath every Monday, I was talking about it with Drew the other day, I have only had one cold. It was when I, when I went to Colorado and it was some weird something going on with me. I didn't sound good out there. I don't know if it was the altitude or a cold, but in a year and a half, I got to think about this the other day. This winter, so I had that thing back in November in Colorado, I have not had one head cold. In this last year and a half, I can't remember a stomach bug. Now, I'm not telling you that if you start Sabbathing correctly that you're going to all of a sudden have ailments gone, 
But I'm going to tell you, you probably will find something that will be like that. I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. It's incredible. It's in there for a reason. So my mentor, he challenged me to get rid of my cell phone one day a week, 24 hours, one time a month, and then once a year, get rid of it for seven days. So this was the first year that I did that. And when we left for April break last year, I was without my cell phone. I actually left it home. I went away from my cell phone for seven days. You should have seen the thing levitate when I turned it on. Right? Right? You can do it. It's not been easy, guys. It has not been easy. I suffer from FOMO. Does anyone out there suffer from FOMO? Fear of missing out? That's FOMO. It's a real deal. Tara, do you suffer from that? Yeah, me too. There, she's probably the one of the worst FOMO in this building next to her dad. Um, and there was a lot of cool things that I would turn my phone on on Tuesday and see that I missed on Monday. Whether it be, you know, people hanging out or people going to get coffee or people going in town, friends that I hadn't seen forever, right, were in town and I missed them. They had texted me on Monday, hey, yo, we're in town, but I missed them, right? On the other end, I had people frustrated with me. There were people that were frustrated. Actually, the one that was most frustrated with me was extremely close to me, and it really was a hard conversation that we had when, when, it, when it showed that they were frustrated with me over the course of about six months. And what's incredible is I had, and I was talking to Drew about this, and I think I even mentioned it in a ser- service, a couple, you know, like a month ago, we had this kind of clash of like, it frustrates me that you're not available on Mondays. And I was like, I know, but I told you when I signed up for this, I wasn't going to be available on Mondays. He's like, yeah, but like, you didn't even answer your phone on Mondays. I'm like, I, I'm not available on Mondays. Part of available, did, you know. Anyway, what's crazy is I was hanging out with the same person a couple weeks ago. And they said to me, hey, next year, I need to take a me day. And I learned that from you. I was like, wow, you're right. You're right, man. You really do. You know, you need to take a day. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it's been incredible. And so I want to encourage you. You might look at me and think I'm crazy. You might think no way could I take three months off from my job. Or no way could I take one day a week and live without my cell phone or live without a calendar. You need to, right? It's the opposite. There's, you can't not do it. You need to do it. And you need to count the cost, right? You need it. Our, our level of anxiety as a society, our level of depression as a society has done nothing but go like this. You look at all the statistics as a society, it's done nothing like this, go like this. And what really has changed? We are always connected. We always have something that we can do, always have something that is pulling on us. And, and, it's, and it's not good. It's not good. So I will not have a cell phone. I will not have Facebook. I will not have email. I will not have text messaging and I will not have phone calling. And already I can tell that it's going to be hard for me. 
because there's a lot of people already reaching out. Hey, when you come through Boone, North Carolina, and these are people that I really like and I'd love to see. Hey, when you come through this Georgia. Hey, when you come through New Jersey. Hey, when you come through Connecticut. Hey. And I've had to say to each one of them, hey, I'm so sorry. I won't know when I'm going through there and there'll be no way to get a hold of me. And that's hard for me. That's really hard for me. But I think it's what God's calling me to this sabbatical for me personally. Also what he's doing is my identity is all in what I do. I preach about my identity being in the fact that I'm a child of God, that I'm saved by grace, that I'm covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, and that it's nothing that I have done, but it's all what Christ has done for me. I can preach that till I'm blue in the face. I don't live that. You can see where my identity is when I hang out with other people that don't go here. And what do I do? I say what I do. I talk about, oh, man, I'm a minister at the mountain, and it's so incredible what God's doing. I See, I give him glory, which is ridiculous. What I'm saying is, I'm the man. When I came, there was no local church, and now there's a local church. It's, all, it's like it's ridiculous. I'm talking about all my identity and what I do. Now, granted, there is some parts of it that I'm like, yes, I'm so psyched at what God's doing, and I am actually have some real flaws, and I cannot believe at what God's doing. But you watch. My identity is all wrapped up in being a pastor and being a minister and being a missionary, being someone who's doing something for God. That is going to be taken away from me in seven days. In seven days, I'm going to walk out that door and I'm going to get onto that RV with my parents and we're going to drive that way and I will not have any connection to anyone. I will have no vision to cast. I'll have nobody to motivate. I'll have nobody to, to inspire with my great words. You know, I'll have nobody to like rally around a vision to go do something. I am literally going to just be. Just be. And every mentor that I have has been just drilling this at me for the last three or four years. Buddy, you need to be. Buddy, you need to be. And then they said this to me, Marcus, you need to go do something that you're bad at because you think everyone loves you because you're good at something. I'm like, no, you're, no. Well, then why does it hurt you so much when someone doesn't like your sermon? Why does it hurt you so much when someone doesn't like your church and leaves your church? Why does it hurt you so much when someone is mad at you Why does it hurt you? Because your identity is wrapped up in what people think about you. Your your identity is wrapped up on what you can do for them and how much you can entertain them. Are you entertained by me? Right? And we talked about this 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 fall when I went to the psychologist, and the psychologist kind of like dialed me in. That was crazy. Uh, And you know, there is some stuff that you might be like, all right, psychologist, that was a little too much. You've been in school a little too long. This is called reality over here, you know, but there were some really amazing, amazing things that I've watched patterns in my life. You know, a really destructive pattern that the psychologist nailed without even knowing me. He's like, Marcus, you go out and you entertain and you vision cast and you minister to, right? But you know that none of them love you. You know that as soon as you stopped being their minister, as soon as you stopped preaching, as soon as you stopped entertaining, if all of a sudden your ability to communicate to them was gone, you would lose them. So you actually don't trust them. You love their accolades. You love it when they high five you. You love it when they come to your church service. You love it when they're all about your likes on Facebook and say that was a really cool sermon. 
but you know. So it's this weird thing where I get this accolade. He goes, but when you come home, he goes, it's not good. It's not good at all. Because you will give, 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 give to these people that you don't trust. And then when you're ex- absolutely exhausted, you come home to a wife and you say this subconsciously. When he said this to me and he told me my pattern, I about fall off my chair. And Heidi like about started to cry. He said, you, you don't want to do anything for her. And it's not because you're tired. It's because you want to know if she'll love you if you don't do anything for her. So you actually don't do nothing for her to see if you can get her love. And then that makes you feel loved. Because you're like, okay, she loves me even though I did absolutely nothing for her. And it was like, whoa. And what's crazy, he goes, yeah, you're not, you're not, you're not unique. Welcome to 90% of the pastors in the United States. And that's what they do. They come and they minister, they entertain, they, 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 they motivate, knowing that you don't really love them. You love their position, but not them. And you might think, no, 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 that's not true. I do love you, which I don't know. I'm learning to say, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, can I love you? Can I love you, right? And then what I do is I go home and I ask Heidi to be Jesus. I ask Heidi to love me unconditionally. I ask Heidi to love me without me doing anything for her. See, we all have that. We all look for that in something. Ever wonder? Ever wonder why people love dogs? They, they want, you know, there is a healthy way to love dogs. And obviously there's a healthy way to love Heidi. There's a healthy way to do things. But a lot of times people love dogs or they love a specific hobby or they love something that they get really into because they're asking that thing to be Jesus. They're asking that thing to love them unconditionally. And when that psychologist said that to me, I was like, whoa, wow, you, you know, and the only reason why my, my marriage, well, God, grace of God, but the only reason why my marriage hasn't fallen apart other than the grace of God is that Heidi is tougher than a bag of hammers. She is tough, like mess with that chick. Good luck. She's just tougher than a bag. And what's crazy is the good old Baptists in Minnesota drilled in her head that you never divorce ever. You never leave. It's like, it's like Ruth Graham. Did you see the interview with Ruth Graham? They said to Ruth Graham, have you ever considered divorce? And she goes, no, I've never considered divorce. Murder, yes. Divorce, no. <laughs> and that's good old Baptist Heidi back there, right? Won't drink and won't talk about the D word. And so, but I got to be careful. That's not okay. It's not okay to rely on that. And so what God's about ready to do, I think to me, and I'm scared. I'm like, I hope you can hear that up here. I really don't even know how to do this sermon. I'm like all over the place right now because I'm not dialed in. I'm frazzled. You're about ready to take me out of my element. You're about ready to make me be very uncomfortable. Hiking the trail, that won't be that bad. Not taking a shower, I really don't care. Going to the bathroom in the woods, let's, I just do it a lot, right? So <laughs> then none of those things, I mean, they'll be uncomfortable, But you know what's really going to be testing, what's really going to be trying, is when I disconnect from all of you, when I disconnect from that mountain, when I disconnect from this mission, this idea that I am to to inspire, 
to motivate, to connect, to gather, to move, to vision cast. Now, those are all good things. Those are all gifts God's given me in their callings, but they've become who I am. They become who I am. They're, they're not me. I'm just Marcus. And so you can be praying for me. And you know what? You can be praying for me when I come back. All the things that I've read about in sabbaticals is that a lot of times it's the re-entry for the minister that's very, very, very difficult. And I got to thinking, that's for them. I don't know. I can't wait to get back. I can't wait to be with all you people and eat meals after church and be like, woo, I'm back. I got to thinking. So one of the things that you've heard me talk about is all the things that are going to happen to me on the sabbatical. What about the things that are going to happen to the ministry? They're going to happen to you. See, I'm a vision caster. I'm a gear shifter. I'm an accelerator. Those are all gifts. Drew, however, Drew is, is, is intentional. Drew is wise. Drew, Drew is articulate. Drew is a manager. Drew is a maintainer. These are all things that are gifts for him. But when I come back to Loon Mountain Ministry in September, the, the speed of Loon Mountain Ministry will be a lot slower than I'm used to. And you all need that. While I'm gone, there won't be a whole lot of new ideas. While I'm gone, there won't be a whole lot of new directions. While I'm gone, there won't be a whole lot of like, who are these people and what are they doing here? Well, they met Marcus in the subway somewhere and now they're here. You know, those are all good things, but they create like a, a tension. It's a good tension, but it cre- you guys are, you're tired. I'm tired. And it doesn't mean that you guys won't do maybe some new things. Don't, don't take it like that. But, but the reality of it is, you know, Drew said it best, right? We were talking in a board meeting one time going, hmm, what is this going to do financially? Like, where do we need to be financially to make sure that we can, like, achieve this, right? Because, like, how much is giving going to go down when Marcus leaves? Because he's kind of our, like, drum beater, our cheerleader, our face. Like, how much is giving going to go down? Drew was really wise. Drew rose, raised his hand and said, yeah, maybe so, but spending's going to go way down because Marcus is gone and doesn't have access to the credit card. <laughs> and and that's, that's, that's good, right? It says right here, it says, you've planted for six years, Right? You've yielded harvest and crops for six years. In the seventh year, let the land lay unplowed. There might be some things this summer that you're like, oh, we're not doing something new. You know, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not bringing in more people. We're not, that's okay. Let it, la- let it rest. Let it lie. If you, get in, if you get anxious about that, you're taking too much credit for this ministry. If I get anxious about, oh, I came back and, man, I came back to the community center in October and there's really only like 25 people here. If I get anxious about that, it's because I'm taking way too much credit for this. It's not, it's not me. And if Drew gets anxious about what's going on, he's taking too much credit. He's giving too much credit to me. And this summer is going to be a lot about, too, you guys just taking a rest. So I encourage you, I encourage Drew, I encourage the board, I encourage the leaders, think about that. Think about where we can pray as an organization. Like we, we won't do um, VBS this year. You know, we didn't do it last summer, but we won't do it this summer. You know, maybe there's some other things that we might not do this summer, just to take a little bit of a chill, a little bit of a break. And that's okay. What's crazy to me is to think that we came here in 2012. Heidi and I moved here September 2012. 
That's crazy. True, had you graduated college yet? No? Doggone it. Man, you haven't graduated college yet? Ow. Were you born yet, bro? What year were you born, Henry? 2012. Woo! Yeah, buddy. So you're going to be seven this next year? Wow. Man. Abishai, you're going to be 13 this spring? You're old. You, you look tall next to Emily. Oh, sorry. Didn't see you there. Um, love you, Emily. So I know my sermon went all over the place. But I hope through my weird way of thinking about this and my embarrassment or my, my fear of standing here and being real with you guys, that, that one, you, you see what's going on here, what God's doing. Two, you take a Sabbath in your life, weekly, weekly. And what you do is you take your marker and you take that and you make an X once a week on your calendar. And I would say get rid of your cell phone. I'd say, don't have people over, you know? I would say, you know, if you're an introvert, well, maybe you should do something different, but um, just stop doing what you normally do. And don't, don't say, well, I have to go to the dump. Well, man, if I don't paint the house today, it's not going to get painted. Man, if I don't, if I don't you, you, you're taking way too much credit for your life. It's incredible what God's done in my life through taking these, these, these Sabbaths. And I haven't been perfect. I have not done them perfectly, you know. I have not done them perfectly. But I've done quite a few Sabbaths, and I can tell you what, man. They're not, they're not easy, though. There have been many a Sabbaths where I've been like, okay, now what? You know, relax, rest. Jesus, I thank you for this time. I thank you for even though my, uh, my all-over-the-place sermon that seems to be crazy, you, you can use it, Lord. And I, I thank you so much that even though we, um, we, 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 we think we're planning our steps, we think we know what we're doing, you, you Lord, are directing us. And so I pray that you would give um, peace uh, to me, getting ready to go on this, this trip that's starting to really make me nervous, that you would give peace to my family, uh, Lord, that you'd give peace to this congregation. Lord, that you would give wisdom, wisdom to us as we make decisions on the trail and, and whether we're going to camp here tonight or camp there or what are we going to do with, you know, the weather has been raining for five days or whatever. We give us wisdom. Give us wisdom in who to initiate and who to engage along the way and who to intentionally not initiate and engage with and keep walking. Um, give, give Drew and Nathan and the crew wisdom as they lead the ministry here. Uh, Lord, we're yours. This ministry is yours. So, you know, we can't mess it up. It's just incredible what you're doing in this ministry, and we love you. In your name we pray, amen.